friends. Good to see you all tonight. In case you don't know me, my name is Marshall Pennell. I serve on the elder team for Bureau Bible Fellowship. And uh, my wife Jessica back here is the chairperson of the missions committee. And this actually kicks off what we think will be a great weekend with a missions focus, our first ever missions focus weekend for Bureau Bible Fellowship. I'm very pleased with that because uh, missions is so crucial to the life of the church. We're not to be ingrown, and we're not even just to be limited in our scope to the people who are right around us. Remember in the, in the Great Commission what Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. From their perspective, we are the uttermost parts of the earth. And if nobody cared about international missions back then, we wouldn't know the gospel. They never would have come this far out. They would have said, well, there are enough people right around us here who haven't heard. Let's just focus on them. I'm glad that didn't happen, aren't you? Man. Uh, we have a great night tonight. We've got Chris Bills, who's a part of our church. Chris's family moved here from Indianapolis uh, a year ago? August. In um, August? Yeah. It'll, it'll be a year ago. When <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Uh, so, uh, Chris's family moved here last August, and, uh, and they are missionaries in preparation and are doing mission trips. Just returned from a mission trip this last weekend uh, from Mexico. And so Chris is part of our missions committee, and we've asked him tonight to do a session to answer this question that is in a lot of people's minds, and if it's not in your mind, good for you. If it is, it'll be answered tonight, so that's, that's, that's fine, you're doing great. Uh, but the question is this, why should we spend our resources to go reach people in other parts of the world when there's so many people right around us who need to be reached for Christ? It's a valid question. And uh, Chris is going to answer that question for us tonight. Why we as a church and why we as individuals who make up this church need to have an international missions focus. So uh, before Chris comes up, let's, uh, let's pray. By the way, after we pray, if you would like to, I'd recommend you at those tables maybe come down here because he is going to use his screen and you might have a hard time seeing it. I know you're positioned closer to the snacks. So I, I respect that. I think that's wise. Uh, but uh, whatever you'd like to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Savior. Thank you for the message of salvation. Thank you for entrusting that incredible message to us so that we can be ministers of reconciliation and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who still have never heard, don't know the first thing about the one true God and your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that we are a church who cares about that and believes that the Great Commission was spoken to us. I pray for your blessing on Chris as he communicates tonight. Open our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand the things he's teaching and apply them to our hearts and lives. We pray for your blessing on these missionaries who are coming in, traveling this next couple of days to be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night. We pray for your blessing on all this. But not just that we would have fun or have a great time. God, we invite you to challenge our hearts, challenge our thinking, Change us and move us to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before Chris comes, a little word about uh, what's coming up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have, uh, I'm so bad with names, just it, it's Tom, Tom Doyle uh, from Uncharted Ministries. We've talked about him. I'm not going to tell you more about him, except that we're in the Middle East, exciting ministry, reaching people for Christ and establishing churches doing all kinds of great things that you will hear about Sunday morning if you come to church. If you don't come to church, then you're going to miss that. You don't want to miss it. Tom is a great, great speaker. 
Sunday night will be right here in, in this room. There's room only for 80 people. We're having a catered dinner, catered by Wild Time Catering. Wild Time is run by one of the guys who started Chive, and, uh, and then his partner started uh, Green Marlin. So these guys, are they're good, they're good cooks. So whoever comes on Sunday night is gonna have good food. But it requires a sign up, and uh, I think there are less than 10 spots left available. So if you want to be here Sunday night, you haven't signed up yet, I advise you to see Jessica uh, tonight and get signed up. If you don't get to Jessica, you can talk to Deb over there in the corner and get signed up there. But Sunday, uh, the last few spots are gonna be gone. If you did sign up, I wanna remind you, please don't change your mind. If you change your mind, two bad things will happen. One, uh, we will pay for a meal that will not get eaten. And two, someone who wanted to come won't be able to come because you took a spot and didn't use it. So not asking you to give up a spot, don't do that. If you signed up, come. But if you signed up, do come, and we're gonna have a great meal together. No cost, by the way, it's all paid for, and uh, and there's no offering taken up that night or anything. It's not, you know, sometimes they use these tricks to get you to come so they can pull some money out of your wallet. None of that's gonna happen, it's just this. We want the body of Bureau of Bible Fellowship to be encouraged and challenged about international missions. Sunday night is gonna be Kurt Dillinger from Life International, the organization that focuses on the Father's heart for life all around the world. He'll explain more about that. And Monday night, again in this room, no dinner. We'll have the spread of snacks like this. And, and a guy who I've known for years, his name is Mike Williams. Uh, Mike was the youth minister at First Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida, when I knew him 30 years ago. And uh, at that time, he was start, starting as a comedian. I mentioned this Sunday. There was this crazy comedian named Carrot Top. He had a great big red afro. And he used all kinds of props in his comedy, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, I was in Mike Williams' office one, uh, one day, and there was this curtain in his office. Like, there's a big room, and he had his desk over here and a work table, and there was a, a curtain dividing the rest of the room. He said, hey, come here, let me show you what I'm doing. He takes me behind this curtain, he's got a workshop where he's making all of these different things that he, he made them on request for this comedian, Carrot Top, who back then was one of the well-known comedians you know, going around touring. So this guy's good, he's funny. Uh, but he's not here to entertain us, he's here to tell us about this ministry, Cups International, that works among the people who are so poor they actually live in the dumps in Dominican Republic. They try and get garbage out of the dumps just to, not only to eat, but also things that they can recycle or make into something else to sell. And, and they build schools there in the dumps uh, to, to teach them. They have a church in them, they have Bible studies. They'll tell us all about that, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. On Monday night, no capacity limit. Let's fill the room Monday night for, uh, for Mike Williams, and I think that will be great. So that's all I have to say about all that. Any questions? I didn't think so. I explained it so well. Now, uh, please welcome Chris Bills. Thank you, Marshall, for that uh, kind introduction, and uh, thank, thank you and the elder team for uh, putting some faith in me to teach you guys a little bit about uh, International Missions Night. Um, for those of you who don't know me, because uh, we are recently uh, moved to Vero Beach, uh, my name is Christopher Bills. Um, right now, I'm in my last classes at Southern Seminary for my Master's of Divinity, um, and we're kind of, as a family, figuring out what God has planned for us afterwards. We, we have a heart for missions. Uh, like Marshall had said, we just got back from Mexico. My wife was able to uh, teach some of the ladies there about homeschooling and approaches to homeschooling because the COVID pandemic has had 
um, a really negative influence on their uh, their school systems. A lot of kids going unschooled and just listening to radio to at prescribed times to be their teacher kind of thing. So she got to teach about homeschooling and I got to teach some of the leadership there about biblical interpretation. So um, be praying for us and the future for us and what uh, what God might have planned for us or where, you know, whether that's stateside, short term, long term, we don't, you know, we're still trying to fill it out. So um, as Marshall mentioned, kind of the, the emphasis for this weekend and this the emphasis of this talk is going to be international missions. Now, my hope, there's kind of two, two uh, takeaways or intents with my, my uh, talk tonight. My hope is to give you a biblical understanding of international missions, an understanding that is rooted in the Old Testament and finally realized through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. My, also, my hope is to kind of give you a, a snapshot of current state of affairs and global missions and Christianity as a whole uh, in the world. Uh, what I'm not here to do is to tell you that missions is somehow absolutely prime, you know, has primacy in the church, that it's the one thing. Because there are many different things, uh, many functions of the church that all are important tasks that in spreading the gospel. But part of the, what I want to emphasize is that oftentimes missions is put to the side, even though it is a co-equal and a, a co-important function of the church. And sadly, it's often marginalized. I know this for, um, from other churches that I've been at, that whenever uh, you know, budgets get tight or revised, that missions is always on the, the chopping block. And that's specifically one of the churches that we were at in Indiana. That happened, and the first thing was you know, money cut to missionaries. And we knew missionaries down in Mexico that uh, were feeling the, the crunch of that. So, um, but missions is of, of vital importance. Um, it's through international missions. Sorry, I lost my talking. <laughs> it's through international missions and taking the gospel to the nations that we see the completion and consummation of God's promises. As Matthew twenty four fourteen says, it says, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." See the end. For the end to come, for the eschaton to come, the nations must be reached. Missions is not just something the church does, but it is something that the church is. Now, Marshall mentioned uh, probably one of the most central passages to uh, understanding missions in the Great Commission is Matthew 28. Uh, it's vitally important. Um, and this is often where kind of the theology of missions starts. And I'll go ahead and read it for you, uh, specifically Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, as I said, it's one of the most central passages about our command to go into all the nations and share the gospel. This great commission was the last command given by Jesus, our Savior, while He was on earth, because right after that, He ascended into heaven. It shapes how we think about our, and conduct our missions. In this passage, we are to be active and to go, a very active verb given in the Greek, to go. It does not call for inactivity. This going is to all the nations, not just in our local communities. Also, it is to be central it is also to be centered on the teaching of Jesus, to teach them about all that Jesus had commanded. 
in seeking the conversion of the nations. Our going is not just to meet the needs and show the love of Christ, but it is to teach them that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But however central Matthew 28 is, this is not the beginning of the story. God did not first command His followers to make His name known among the nations in the New Testament. Rather, this call to make His name known to, His name known to the nations began at the beginning of our faith. See, oftentimes we kind of overlook the Old Testament or push it to the side, but the Old Testament is the seedbed and the background for everything that's in the New Testament, and this includes missions. New Testament texts are the culmination and fulfillment of Old Testament promises and commands of God. Throughout the overarching meta-narrative or the big story of the Bible, God calls the nations and His, rede- and His redemptive purposes were revealed and further refined culminating in Jesus Christ in the Great Commission. Now, there are many passages that, that I deal with this idea of bringing God's name to the nations and making His name known. And there's a very rich theology. You know, major prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah all pick up on these themes. Now, I don't have time to go into all these, but I've kind of selected a, a handful of them to, uh, to share with you today. Excuse me. Take a So that kind of brings the question, well, where does it start? Well, it starts back all the way in Genesis 1. Some people might miss this or not realize it, and oftentimes we have a, uh, don't have a East, Near Eastern understanding of of this this specific passage. I'm talking about Genesis 1, 26 to 18, or sorry, 26 to 28. Um, And in this, we're told that we are made in the image of God and we're to subdue creation. Now, being made in the image of God has several implications, and many of them are key uh, for our understanding of lots of things today. One is that, you know, very clearly, it means that we're unique in creation, and this conveys a sanctity of human life, and that's impertinent for understanding uh, current issues of today, ethical issues of today. Um, Also, there's uh, theologians, and Christian theologians and philosophers have picked up on the idea of the image of God being our, our cognition, our, bil- our ability to re- reason and be rational. However, in an ancient Eastern context, uh, bearing, in, bearing the image of God has a, has a kind of a different connotation or understanding. See, kings in those days proclaimed themselves to be gods. They claimed to be the image of their false gods, having the authority to carry out the will of their false gods. Also, they created idols, statues of stone or precious metal, and they said these things were the physical embodiments of their gods or the images of their gods. Israel, though, was set apart. It was different. It was not part of the, the pagan culture. Um, it, was, it did not view their kings as gods. It knew the one true God, Yahweh. In the beginning of the Bible, we see God as the, all, the Genesis painting God as the all-powerful creator and king of the earth. As the king and creator, he has authority over creation. One of the first things he does with this is that he creates mankind and gives them authority to rule over creation by making them in his image. See, Adam and Eve bear the image of God and were to to take the the garden that was the very place that God walked and communed with, with Adam and Eve, were to take that to the ends of the earth, to reproduce, to make other image bearers, and to make his name known throughout the earth. But we all know how that story goes, right? So we, we then kind of pick up in, in Genesis 12 with Abraham. 
and very clearly in the commissioning of Abraham, God calls Abraham out. We see Abraham being called out for God's purpose. In this passage, God tells Abraham that through him all people of the earth will be blessed. Now, oftentimes this is picked up and we understand this as what we call a messianic prophecy or a, a prophecy that tells of the coming blessing in Jesus Christ. Um, and that the Gospels very clearly point this out. They say um, Jesus is the son of Abraham and the one through whom these, this blessing comes. This can be very clearly seen in Matthew, for example, um, there's the intentional connecting of Jesus to Abraham. Matthew 1, which is kind of the headline or the preface for the entire book, um, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And indeed, Jesus in his gospel is the blessing to all the nations. However, I want to illustrate that, that him being a blessing to the nations wasn't a New Testament idea. Rather, it was a promise and a commissioning that started at the beginning of our faith and finally revealed and rationalized in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Another Old Testament passage that points to this is Exodus 19, 3-6. Here, Moses and Israel are at the foot of Sinai, and they're receiving their commissioning from God. We are told here that the whole earth is God's, and Israel is set aside so that God can use them to accomplish His purposes. Those purposes are to bless and draw the nations to God and to worship Him. Also, there's passages like Isaiah 49, 5-6, and I'll go ahead and read that for you. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from my womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved preservation of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So here in Isaiah, we already see God setting aside Israel for His purposes so that His salvation can be brought to the ends of the earth. This is not a New Testament concept. This is something that was inextricably intertwined to the entire narrative of the Bible. Psalm 67, this is often called the missionary psalm, and it reads, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on the earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So even in the Old Testament, it's not let all of Israel praise you, which of course that was, but there was already an understanding, this, this seedbed of ideas that, well, through the messianic line, through Abraham, through David, ultimately finally revealed in Jesus Christ that that would be what carries the name of God to the ends of the earth. Now, both of, these, both of these passages, like I said, help explain our further understanding of uh, the missional task in the Old Testament. Um, there's a, a man named Michael Goheen who wrote a book, uh, a, Night, or, sorry, a Light to the Nations, and I quote this from his book. He says, 
God chose Abraham and Israel to exercise the fullness of his blessing and to be a channel of that blessing to others. The, re the remaining story narrates how faithful they were to this task. It had been set in the midst of the land to shine as a light to the nations, first as a loose confederation of tribes, then as a kingdom, and finally as a stateless, stateless minority scattered among the nations. All the way through this story, God provides the means by which they might fulfill their calling. He provides leaders, institutions, writings, and more. Yet they continually fail to be holy people. The problem was that Israel's heart was desperately wicked. It needed a new heart, a new spirit. It needed God's law written on their very being. Only then could the people of Israel fulfill the calling that God had given them. And as I said before, this concept of bringing God's name and his salvation to the nations is not just a New Testament idea or concept, but rather an old. Now, I previously mentioned the, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, that's just a, a handful of passages in the Old Testament that help show that, this idea of the nations and bringing God to the nations. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of shift to the, uh, to the new because there's a, there's a myriad of um, New Testament passages that deal with uh, the idea of international missions as well. As I said, the kind of the quintessential missions verse is Matthew 28. Um, and it's the, it's the fruit of this seedbed that's laid in the Old Testament. And it's the kind of the new covenant launching point for our requirement to bring the gospel to the nations. This is done so, so that the totality of God's plans and purposes and kingdom can be realized. However, Matthew 28, like I said, is not the only verse that deals with this. Excuse me. So, another New Testament passage that deals with this is Luke 24, 46 to 47. In this passage, Jesus is, is speaking to his, his disciples, and he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all or proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem again this is yet another command or commission just like Matthew 28 to his disciples to bring the gospel message to all the nations further Jesus reveals to us that the bringing of this message of God to all the nations is not a new thing when Jesus says this is what is written. What he's doing is, is he's referring back to the Old Testament. He's saying, this is what is written. He's talking about what we now call the Old Testament. And he says, not only that his death and resurrection were foretold of in the Old Testament, but that the preaching of the gospel message to the nations was also foretold of and written. The whole grand narrative of the Bible has been pointing to Christ crucified, his resurrection, and his message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins being preached to all the nations. Another New Testament passage, Matthew 24, 14. As I mentioned before, it says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Again, the preaching of the gospel to all the nations is how we usher, usher in the eschaton or, or the final fulfillment of God's prophecies, the end of this age, and usher in the new creation and the new age. 
Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we see the source of our wellspring of our ministry and mission is the Holy Spirit himself. Also, we see that we as witnesses of Jesus Christ are to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, Revelation 5.9, this is going to be my last um, passage for the New Testament. Um, but it's another passage that shows the gospel message is to be brought to all the nations. Prior to, prior, right before 5.9, we have Revelation 4, and we're given a very uh, vivid imagery of the heavenly throne room and lightning and all these, these very graphic kind of symbols. It is in the setting that Jesus, as God, is sitting on the throne with a scroll in his hand. It is also here in Revelation 5 that we see John weeping bitterly because there is no one on heaven and earth that is able to open this scroll. To which one of the elders in heaven says to John, he says, Do not weep, for the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered and can open the scroll. It is then in Revelation 5.9 that we see the inhabitants of heaven singing a new song to the glory of God for him being able to open the scroll. And it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's a, this is a quote I think that kind of summarizes this pretty well. It's by uh, Christopher Wright in uh, his book, Mission of God. It says, God's mission is what fills the gap between the scattering of the nations in Genesis 11 and the healing of the nations in Revelation 22. It is God's mission in, rela in relating to the nations, arguably more than any other theme that provides the key that unlocks the biblical grand narrative. And I agree, I think right, for a lack of, uh, not trying to be punny here, but right is right. Um, mission to the nations is central in the scriptures. It is central to the gospel message. It is not just for us, but for everyone from every nation. And it is to be central in the life and activity of the church. Central to the DNA of the Church of Acts was identifying, commissioning, sending, and supporting people to bring the gospel to the nations. And also, too, the theology of the New Testament was born out of mission. Paul, on his missionary journeys, drew out the truths of the gospel and drew out the truths of the scriptures. So, as it's central to the DNA of the Church of Acts, I, it's important for us to be, it's central to our DNA and to be a sending agent just like the Church of Acts was. Now, I, that was, I hope that was a semi-concise <laughs> kind of overview of the, the importance of missions in Scripture and how it's laid out in Scripture. And my second uh, desire for you tonight was also to, uh, to kind of have a, a screenshot of missions in the world today. Give me one second here. Start my slideshow here. Okay. 
So this is just a uh, kind of a snapshot of world population. Um, as you can see, about 1900, there was kind of starting to be exponential growth of uh, the world population. Currently, we're sitting at about 7.7 .7 billion people, um, projected to be about 9 billion by 2048. And so you can see the uh, very steep rise in the world population today. So here's some global realities. As I said, 7.7 .7 people. I'd like to draw your attention down to uh, uh, right here where it says Christians and evangelicals. This, these numbers kind of encapsulate you know, non-evangelicals, Orthodox Church, uh, Catholic Church, those kinds of things. Um, and unreached people, there's over 4 billion unreached people. Now, at the bottom, you can see the description, but I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, this is uh, based off of uh, the International Missions Board, which is kind of the sending agency for the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. And they define an unreached people group as a people, as a people group with less than 2% evangelical Christians. And there's approximately about 7,092 uh, people groups with a total population of just shy of 4.5 billion and they are all classified as unreached people groups then this is uh, the date is as of January 1st 2019 now you can see down down underneath that uh, missionaries among the unreached there's approximately 20,000 uh, evangelical missionaries uh, among unreached people groups and that's about one missionary for every 200,000 unreached people. Uh, most populous countries uh, on the left is uh, 2020 and on the right is projections for 2050. Um, you can see that India is projected to overtake China uh, and China's projected to continue to grow. China's put some uh, one-child policies and things like that. The communist regime there has done. Um, some pretty egregious things have happened under that policy. But uh, so the, I want to show you this because this is important for this. So you can see the red dots. The red dots are unreached people groups. And this red circle, there are more people that live inside that circle than outside that circle. So that means you can see the concentration of unreached people groups. And you can see where the most population growths are, and it's all inside that circle. Here's a kind of another pictograph to, to illustrate. Um, this is, now, what this is, is it's kind of like a world map, but it's done um, country size proportion based off of unreached people groups. And you can see uh, India, and this is when I joined the missions committee, I was very glad to see that we were actively helping uh, uh, Bible college in, uh, in India to equip and send out um, leaders in India. But you can see there's over one billion unreached people uh, within India, probably the largest population. Again, here's just another representation of uh, evangelical population. And you can see um, China actually has grown as a little bit, and they continue to grow, again, under the auspice of following what the, uh, or at least the state church, following under what the communist regime there says, but there is underground churches that exist and continue to grow in China today. And again, you can see that South Asia, right there, 
just under Asia Southeast, that's, that's India. That's where India's at, that region, Pakistan, all that is right there. So, but there, there is hope. I mean, there's, these are kind of projections for global population change in terms of uh, um, growth. Uh, one thing I'd like to note, one, this is by Pew Research, and uh, a lot of people, you'll hear people say that Muslims, or Islam is the, the number one growing religion in the world. Uh, some people have a problem with that and they contend with that. One is that's not necessarily based off of conversion. Uh, a lot of Muslim-majority countries have higher birth rates than other people do. So they're kind of de facto. They're not necessarily converting. It's just that they were born in, into to Islam. Also, too, a lot of Muslim-majority Muslim countries are very authoritarian. And they, they follow, especially places like Iran um, and places like that, they follow the Quranic teaching of killing apostates. If you convert from Islam, according to the Quran, you are to be killed. So, thought experiment, if I have somebody doing a census and I live in a Muslim-majority country and I don't believe in Islam anymore, am I going to tell them I'm not a Muslim? No. I don't want to die. So... So some people have a problem kind of with that statistic. So just wanted to highlight that. Here's another uh, showing which you can see Europe there. Um, Europe provides, they're not like an unreached people group. They know, they have access to uh, the gospel. They, a lot of theology has come, in, has come out of Europe, you know, in Germany and all these places, but they're what we call thoroughly post-Christian. It's that, you know, they have access to the gospel, they've heard the gospel, there's churches there, it's just they want nothing to do with Jesus. So that's a kind of a different problem set that exists there. Um, but something of note is Sub-Saharan Africa, and actually this is the largest growing population of Christians in the world is in Africa. Also, a lot of people, again, this is hard to kind of wrap, you know, put a number to, um, but it's likely that more Muslims are coming to Christ in Iran than anywhere else. Um, and again, this is hard because you can't really go in there and take a census of things and ask people. But uh, there is a lot of growth in the underground church. And a lot of people will say, well, part of the reason for this is, is that um, Iran is living under the truest expression of a uh, Sharia law and a, a, a Quranic teaching of, of governance. And so what you're, what you're seeing is, is that these, you're, they're not like Western Muslims who can sit there and talk about free, free choice and personal liberties and these kinds of things and have that and practice their religion too. They're under the, the, the weight of the regime. And so they're seeing the truest expression of Islam. And I'd be glad to have a discussion with somebody about that later if they want. <laughs> but because uh, um, just understanding kind of the... the the religion of Islam is something that I think is interesting. Um, but they're under that truest expression. They're seeing, well, this isn't, this isn't love. This isn't where I want to be at. And so they turn. They, they know who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is, spo you know, is spoken about in the Quran. The, they affirm the, the New Testament text. They call it the Injil. And so they know the name of Jesus. Um, it's just that he's just a prophet. He's not God to them. So... But so they have kind of that, that seedbed that's there and they're realizing that Islam is not the true religion and converting. 
Indonesia is actually another, uh, they're less authoritarian than Iran, but they're actually a, a Muslim majority country. And there's uh, quite a bit of growth that's going on in Indonesia as well. So all these places, sorry, I forgot to take the animation out. Um, all these places are what you would call kind of the global south. Um, and so there's this kind of a, uh, that people talk about is that it's the rise of the global south. You're seeing a decrease in the global north with places like Europe. And uh, we're, there's kind of a decline in the U.S. and we can see that kind of with the way culture is going and stuff. Um, but in the global south, for every one new follower of Christ in the U.S. and in Europe, there are 16 in Latin America Africa and Asia. So the in what's interesting too is the previous receiving nations are now sending nations. So uh, you have like places like Korea and Brazil that uh, were was sent and we uh, you know missionaries from the from the global north sent missionaries to the global south in Brazil, established the church, grew up, raised leaders, did the full missional cycle, and raised up these leaders. And now these are these places are sending agents uh, into sometimes even post-Christian uh, centers like Europe. Uh, here's a, uh, a kind of a model depicting on the bottom is uh, um, on the left-hand side is percent of Christian, Christian, Christians, and then on the bottom is the years. And you can see, you know, the peak Re Protestant Reformation time frames, 15, 16, 1700s, uh, it was the global north. And then you can see the projections. The last one says... 2000, and then the last one is projected 2050 uh, percent of Christians that will be in the global south. So there are there's a lot of things that are uh, encouraging within that, but there are still billions of unreached people. Um, there are a lot of few, there's few cross-cultural missionaries, um, there's language barriers, all kinds of things, especially when you start talking about places like India that don't even, I mean, we don't even have a shared, like, like Latin is a shared thing with the Span, you know, Spanish and, and English, but there's not even commonality within kind of language. And so there's, there's issues with that. Um, the other big challenge, like I talked about earlier, is the most spiritually needy places still lack uh, witness so there's the workers aren't there and then um, there's not Christian resources in terms of not only just money but you know we kind of take for granted the, our education and the access to books you can get on Amazon and you know get any you know any number of things on discipleship or whatever or you know plug for this book nine marks missions <laughs> um, so there's uh, there's a lack of that I mean and even even we see that and when I was in Mexico, we even saw that, that I was, when I was uh, teaching the biblical interpretation class I was teaching, I was, I would mention these resources like, oh, well, we don't even, have, we don't have access to that. So we, we take for granted how much of kind of Christian thought and theology is done in English. Um, but so, but there's a lack of resources with that. Um, and churches still need to be planted. And the, uh, the prosperity gospel and fal false doctrines are starting to kind of permeate in. If you don't know what uh, the prosperity gospel is or why it's so bad, uh, I'd recommend a, uh, a documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone, very good. 
uh, watch it. Um, but their prosperity gospel, basically it's, you know, these, uh, these people are thinking, well, if I worship God, then, you know, well, maybe my cow won't die and maybe I'll be lifted up out of poverty. Um, and that's kind of, that's what the prosperity gospel preaches and teaches. So in summary, the church is growing most rapidly in the global south. Evangelicals make up about 4% of the population around the world. Um, there's challenges in the Great Commission around uh, Islam and prosperity gospel, secularism in Europe. Uh, persecution still exists. Uh, more than 245 million Christians in the world are highly persecuted for their faith. That's about one out of nine. But we always must remember that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'd like to leave with this uh, quote from uh, G.E. Ladd. Uh, it says, God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define all the nations or who all the nations are. Only God knows exactly the meaning of evangelize. He alone, who has told us that his gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations, will know when the objective has been accomplished. But I do not need to know. I know only one thing, Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not done yet. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms of our task. Our responsibility is to complete it. So long as Christ does not return, our work is not done. So let us get busy and complete our mission. And that's my prayer for this church, that we continue to do that. Now, not all of us have the means to go and be long-term missionaries, but we can be the senders. We can raise up those people that can go and do. Um, and that's my hope and prayer uh, for this church and for, uh, for this country as well. So, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Really appreciate uh, Chris's work on this, digging into the scriptures and showing it to the Old Testament. And uh, when, when we first had the very first organizational meetings for this church, it was at a table right over there. Uh, these snacks weren't here that night. But there was a table right over there. There were about a half a dozen of us around that table, and, and we talked about the importance of this being a church that believes in and acts upon the importance of the Great Commission of going into all the world and teaching people the gospel. As we close, I want to summarize a couple of things that, that we as a church uh, believe and act, act on uh, so that you will have that as context for everything you're going to hear this weekend. Who you're going to hear, why we've selected the speakers and the missions we've selected, and what I think we're going to hear them say. In my life, it goes back to when I was a kid. I remember when I was uh, six years old, uh, my father was a pastor of a large church in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, and he was in his 30s, up and rising, young pastor on this, in this big church. 
And uh, he came home to the family one night after a church board meeting and sat us down and said, I resigned from the church tonight. We're going to move to South America and be missionaries. And uh, that had a big impact on, on my life. I was six years old. I didn't care. You know, wherever my mom and dad were, that's where I was happy to be. But I, I've realized later as an adult what my dad did, giving up what was a prestigious pastoral position of a large church in a big city to go live in the jungle of South America. Now, here's a story that I heard him tell uh, four years later when he came back to the USA to tour around to some of the supporting churches uh, who helped my family uh, go to be missionaries in South America. He told the story of when he was uh, uh, going one day to a little village that he knew no missionaries had ever been to before. And he had this little, uh, it was a Bridgestone dirt bike. Bridgestone is, I think, a British company. You don't see him much in the USA, but was, I think it was like a 90cc, very small dirt bike that he would ride on jungle trails. He would ride it up the beach and find these villages, and he would go for a couple of days at a time. And he was going up the beach, and he knew there was this one village that he or none of the other missionaries had ever been to before. And he got up there. It was an overnight trip. All kinds of stories that I've heard about that trip that I won't take the time to tell you tonight. But uh, here's the main thing. He got to this village, and they called the people together, and he preached uh, a sermon and taught them the gospel of salvation. And the entire village professed faith in Christ that night. And here's the thing that I still remember from when I heard him tell this story when I was 11 years old. In some church where I was, uh, you know, sitting there when my dad was the missionary coming to visit and speak, like we're having the missionaries come this weekend. I remember him saying this at the end of that story, that this old guy, the elder of the village, came up to him and said, why did you wait so long to come and teach us? Wow. Wow. <laughs> it pierced my heart, and I'll never, ever forget that. People like that are out there today waiting to hear the gospel. And that's why we as a church here in Vero Beach, Florida, with all the things that we enjoy, need to have part of our focus be on those people in other parts of the world who need to hear. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes sense, but more importantly than that, Jesus Christ told us to go do it. Okay, so as we do that, as, as a church, this is what our missions committee has, uh, has decided. And we did a survey in the church about a year and a half ago. Some of you may remember this. We passed out this survey and people uh, did their multiple choices. And it kind of gave us some direction of what types of things that we as a church want to support. Because there are all kinds of missions organizations, right? There are ones who uh, pass out food. There are ones that help with disaster relief. Uh, give blankets to people who are cold, all kinds of things. And those things are all good, but we wanted to get some more focus. And, and when we did the surveys, he, overwhelmingly, here was the response from our church, that we wanted to support missions organizations who were focusing on teaching the gospel. And secondly, on discipling believers. So that's as opposed to people who are passing out food or warm blankets or doing those kinds of things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That needs to be done too. But we want to focus on the organizations that are teaching the gospel and teaching basic discipleship. The next thing that we decided as a church through those surveys is as we do this, we want to focus on parts of the world where access to the gospel is very limited. The kinds of places Chris was talking about tonight. My parents were missionaries in Ecuador in South America. There have been so, mission, so many missionaries who have gone to Ecuador that now there's really not much need for American or expatriate missionaries to go to that country. The, the church is strong enough. They can do their own ministry within their country from their churches. Yeah. 
so, I mean, one way to go about it is to support those workers who are in those kind of places. But as a church, we decided we wanted to focus on some of the places where missionaries are just getting to, or it's hard for missionaries to get to. And if we can find workers in places like Chris mentioned, northern India, uh, where it's very remote, this very hostile to the gospel. And if we, as a church, can support a ministry in northern India that's training pastors uh, in that kind of a place to go out and teach the gospel, then that has a lot of impact. So that's one of the decisions that we made. Gospel, discipleship, unreached people or limited access countries we wanted to focus on. And so as our missions committee started pursuing missionaries that we would support, these are the kinds of people that we started looking for. Then we took it to the next step, and that is to make sure that the missions that we were supporting were diligent. I've worked in missions in some form or another all of my life. I've worked with a lot of missionaries, mission boards, missions leaders, and I've found that not all of them work really hard or use their money really wisely. And so we wanted to make sure when uh, we selected a missionary or a missions group that we asked them questions. And so we put together an application form that they have to submit. It goes through our elder board. It goes through our missions committee. It asks them things about their accountability. Who do they work for? Who is their supervisor? Is there a board? Uh, what kind of reports do they file? How do they track the success of what they do? Um, we ask for their budgets, how their money is being spent, what their needs are so that we can make sure that we're not just giving money to somebody who does a great presentation and has great videos and it looks like they're doing wonderful things. We want to make sure we're putting money where people are actually working doing the work that we want to have done. And also people who are under the accountability of a good pastor and good leaders and, uh, and have those structures around them. Let's see. The last thing is uh, we, as a church and as a missions committee, want to make sure the ones we support are grounded in good theology. Uh, Chris mentioned this a few minutes ago. It's an epidemic in many of the third world countries that the ones who are going there and teaching the, the pastors are maybe some of the weakest, most watered down, big churches that have great big television ministries and they, they go to some of these places. I won't mention names, but you can probably think of a few who I'm probably referring to. And they're going and teaching a form of the gospel that's not even really the gospel and teaching theology that's not based on the Bible. And that's an epidemic all over in the third world. And we are supporting missionaries who are taking, taking the real theologically accurate truth of the word of God and training pastors and teaching people so that it will be grounded in truth. And we are very selective about who we uh, present that way. So as you listen to uh, these three missionary speakers this weekend, listen for this. Listen for signs that they're teaching the gospel, that they're discipling people and growing them in the faith to maturity with good theology that's properly grounded in the word of God and properly taught and properly executed. And then look for diligence and look for signs of effectiveness and fruit because we can all go out and try and do things and have big plans, but all that matters at the end of the day is what happened because you did that. And we're looking for those signs of effectiveness. And I think if you measure these three speakers in this way, then you will be blessed and encouraged at what Vero Bible Fellowship is doing in terms of having this outreach around the world through our missions program. Thank you, Chris, for teaching us tonight about the importance of it, the science behind it, the theology behind it, 
And uh, I think we'll be encouraged throughout the weekend. Any, any questions? Or I think we're ready to close. Anybody have any, anything you'd like to say? Want to come up and preach a sermon or sing a song, do a dance? Nothing? Great. I just wondered, Chris, um, who is your sending organization? You went down to Mexico? Um, we, well, I'm still kind of in the midst of just trying to figure out. I've talked to some agencies like uh, Reaching and Teaching is one that I've had conversations with. But um, I'm, a, I'm a vet and my wife's a vet. So we have some funds that come in that way. And we just, some family members and stuff help kind of send us when we went. Uh, down there so um, we don't have any kind of sending agency yet and we're not sure exactly what our mission is or what it should be but we're you know take we're trying to take trips as a family kind of see where God's leading us and just kind of figuring some dynamics and different things out you know what that means short term long term you know we don't know but we know God's faithful and let's be praying for Chris and his family because here right in our church we have this family who are working on being missionaries they're preparing and doing these mission trips and looking for exactly what doors God would open and how he would lead them to be uh, to have that impact globally and that, that's happening right here in our church and I, I'm so blessed by that let's close in prayer and, uh, and as we do I'll pray for Chris and his family as well Marshall, yes be sure to pray for Bill too Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, Bill McClellan, one of our elders, and you all know him. He's hugged every one of you at some point or another. Uh, he tries to be so good during COVID and come up with his forearm or something, and then there ends up being a hug. Bill is very sick. He went to the hospital uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, and uh, had uh, they found that he had been bleeding internally. He's lost a lot of blood. They've done a couple of, uh, I think they gave him two units of blood yesterday again today. Is that correct? and uh, have not yet figured out exactly what's going on. He has more tests tomorrow, uh, but he's very weak, and Bill is not an extremely healthy person uh, to start with. So please be praying for Bill McClellan and his sweet wife, Jackie. Uh, you know what she's going through right now as well, so let's, let's be praying for Bill and Jackie. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for, uh, again, God, thank you for <coughs> investing and trusting to us this message of the gospel to take into all the world. You could have found a different way to spread this message to people far and wide, and you allow us to do it. And so, God, we do it with prayerful hearts. We do it with energy. Thank you that this is a church who's committed to the teaching of the gospel, not just from our pulpit on Sunday mornings, but, God, in places all over the world as we financially and prayerfully support those who are out there doing this job so effectively. We pray for your blessing on our missions weekend, that as uh, people sit in chairs and listen to these men and women who are strong in teaching the gospel in different cultures and different ways far from here, that you would move in our hearts. God, help us to be a blessing and an encouragement to them as they bless and encourage us. We pray for Chris and his family. Thank you for bringing them into this fellowship that he could stand here tonight and teach us from his knowledge and education. Uh, but God, we also pray that, we, that you would guide him and open the doors that you want him to go through. So he would hear your voice behind him saying, this is the way, walk in it, as they commit themselves to serving you internationally and having an impact 
on people in other countries. God, thank you for the privilege of having them in our church and may we nurture them and be a blessing and an encouragement to them uh, and be a part of their ministry in that way. God, we do pray for Bill tonight. She's laying in the hospital. He would be here if he could. I'm sure he would much rather. God, we ask that you would touch his body, that you would do things that no doctor or medicine would be able to do, but you can do through your incredible power. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you would use whatever is at hand to, uh, to do your work in Bill's body. We pray for Jackie too, God. We know what she's going through tonight. I pray that you would give her uh, a calm assurance and a peace that can only come from you through your spirit that dwells inside of her. We ask all of these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks, for being here tonight, and uh, let's have a great missions weekend.